I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. We're talking about the little discussed subjects related to the church, often ones no one wants to talk about. One of those subjects is sex. Shrouded in misinformation, false promises, and damaging teaching, this subject is way more messy and uncomfortable than it needs to be. In the last episode, we talked with sex educator Kim Cavill, and we got super practical. It was the beginning of the sex education many of us never got. In this episode, the guest is Andrew Bowman. He's a therapist and author of a number of books on sexuality, including a new book coming out in January called The Sexually Healthy Man. When you mix the shame of purity culture with the 70% of Christian men using pornography, it's this weird combo um, that really becomes complex and really screws women and men. In this episode, we discuss narcissism, sexual abuse, and how purity culture affects men. His website is full of great resources, so I'll be linking to those in the show notes. Uncertain is a podcast of TearsofEden.org, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. Use the email address or the link in the show notes to get in touch with us. Suggest topics for the podcast or just tell us your story. So many of the resources on the website and even guests for the podcast have been discovered because of you. So thanks for helping us keep these conversations going. And now, here's Andrew Bowman. Good to see you. Good to nice see to you. you. Thanks so much for doing this. I yeah, I'm it. excited. I uh, I'm excited. discovered discovered you because a friend sent me the article about what church would abusers go to. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and it was just it was awesome. And mm-hmm. um, so then I like saw your website and everything. There are so many yeah. things on your website that I want to talk to you about, but we can't talk about everything, even right. though I would love to. Every article sure. would probably take an hour. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, so I guess, so the podcast is talking about difficult subjects related to the church, mostly topics that we don't usually want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of it is to kind of point people towards the website, which is a community and resource for people in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. So mm, we talk a lot wonderful. about spiritual abuse and we're doing a lot of educating about that. And then yes. talking about subjects that create toxic cultures too, yes. that are just not addressed, that create cultures of shame and cultures where yes. abuse can happen. So on that subject is is the topic of sex for context. I have an episode coming out in, I think like two weeks where I'm interviewing a sex educator and we're talking about consent and the importance of knowing your body sexually and being educated and making sure kids are educated and all that kind of stuff. So that will come out before this episode. One thing that I had hope that we could tackle is I get a lot of questions about purity culture yes. and I also get um we get we talk a lot about women and how it affects women I think when we right. do talk about it and so sure. I'm really excited to talk to you because I would love to just get your perspective of where it is showing up with men 
But sure. before that, I'd love <laughs> just to hear um, kind of your heart, why you do what you do, and yeah. how you got to do what you do. Yeah, for sure. I think for, for me, basically working mostly with men, mostly with violent men, uh, mostly with narcissistic men who abuse women, um, mostly sexually, is kind of my cup of tea. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I've become an expert. I'm an expert because I am a recovering narcissist and an abuser myself and uh, abused pornography for about 13 years, which caused me to objectify and reduce women to objects. And so that has really fueled, um, you know, as I've become a sexually safe man, it has fueled my desire to help other men and also help, help women, um, like know what does it mean to actually be loved well and not objectified into oblivion um, because it's so uh, normalized. Uh, objectification of women is so normalized um, and women are so sexualized that they don't even realize uh, sometimes, you know, they internalize misogyny because it's so normalized. And in the church, it's one of the worst because the, the misogyny in the church is coded in spiritual language and abuse, right? I remember growing up in my Southern Baptist church and it was no women can, they can lead the children's ministry. Um, you know, they're great uh, with the children, but they can't preach, right? Oh, okay. And, and me being a young, young man who wanted to be a pastor and who became, I became a pastor, that misogyny and now throw in being a, having a secret life addicted to pornography, that is the perfect, right? The perfect combo as a little science experiment for me to become a spiritual abuser myself, right? So I had the spiritual authority. I have God on my side now because I'm a pastor. And I also, I have a secret sexual life where I abuse women and objectify them. And it's this, it's this toxic thing that now, um, because I know it well, because I've recovered from it, um, is be kind of become my shtick. So wow! So I had no <laughs> idea you were going to say any of that. <laughs> and I have like boom, 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 all of these offshoots mm -hmm. in my brain of things that I want to follow there. But mm. what? I had no yeah. idea that I was going to be mm -hmm. talking to someone who has recovered from the position that has caused so much pain with the people yes. that I'm working with. Yeah, and so exactly. I gosh, I'm like, wow, totally mind yeah. blown. And that's why I feel like, cause so many times my own shame comes into my work cause I have to face my shame daily. Right. And yet it's like, Oh, that's actually why I'm so damn good at my job is because I can speak right to the heart of a narcissist and, and I can see it every day. And because because I know that I know it. And that's what makes our stories when we can make peace with our shame, when we can make peace with our self-hatred, we can actually become very dangerous in the best sense of the word. Um, I think to the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Would you say that shame is at the heart of narcissism? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that comes out in this deep insecurity of men. And that's what makes many insecure men very dangerous. And wow. why they overcompensate, right? They try to become big in church and the position of pastor is such a 
place where I can become big. I can act big. I can feel big. I can feel important. And when our wives, so much of our aggression towards our wives come out because our wives see through our bullshit and they know exactly because our wives expose us. So if I'm an insecure little boy and my wife sees through me, oh, she is going to get my manipulation. She's going to get my aggression because I do not want to be exposed by her. Right. She's going to expose me. She's going to. And that's why so many men, we have to make peace with our traumatized little boys inside of us. We have to do the emotional hard work of making peace with our heartache because all heartache becomes uh, sexualized. And that's where sexually acting out comes out. That's where this spiritual bypassing, where we use spirituality as a way to escape pain. That's where so much of that comes out is running from our stories, running from our heartache and our pain. Yeah, that's so, so good to hear. Um, What caused you to wake up? I was about 13 13 years ago, I went into a psych ward um, and I was um, considering suicide and had a gun in my hand and my own story was in shambles, addicted to sex, addict, you know, using drugs, all the classic stuff and flunking out of college. And this was, I guess, more like 15 years ago and just literally having no place to go, feeling completely orphaned because my own story, my own uh, trauma with my own father and mother, I never dealt with any of it. I was running from it and uh, became hyper-spiritual to cover that harm and that pain and my own abuse. And so that our story, our unprocessed trauma always catches up to us. And so for me, it ended up, you know, with my pants taken away and literally in a padded room and losing everything and literally just weeping and convulsing. And so that was the beginning 15 years ago of my journey um, to recovery and to wholeness and to start on this path of going to grad school and becoming a therapist and working on my doctorate and writing books about it. Did you end up becoming a pastor? Did you end up going that route? Yeah, yeah. So basically uh, went to college and studied the Bible and religion and was a youth pastor and a college pastor and then realized more and more how I could not be honest with my life in that context. I could not be fully honest. You know, I love the teaching part. I love being with people, helping people. Um, but I, the politics and the, I just couldn't be as real as I wanted to be. So that's where I kind of made a, a turn. Unpack really. that a little bit. Did, mm-hmm. What do you mean by you couldn't be honest? My story, I, I used to preach my story, you know, uh, life was hard, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever. And then Jesus came and, you know, saved me and everything was great. And realizing how that was no longer, uh, like I couldn't tell that story because I wasn't great. Um, life was hard. <laughs> and some days I believed in Jesus and other days I didn't. Uh, right. And it was, it was more messy. Um, you know, my father was an addict, was a narcissist, was a pastor. Um, cheated on my mom for 20 something years. You know, my story was messy and the more, and then my own life, my own addiction, like the more honest I was, the less I fit in, Mm. which was so sad. Right. Because I was like, wait, if, if God is truth and the more I tell the truth, the less I, I fit in with God's people. Oh, something's really wrong here. Right. Mm. Something's really broken. And so, because if we tell the truth, the, the more we tell the truth, the more we should experience God because God is truth. And so that 
is my work of can I become fully honest, fully authentic, even if it hurts. And that's why making peace with my shame, naming my own abuse towards women, naming my own sexual abuse, both towards myself and the, that, that I perpetrated during my acting out years, um, that is part of me having integrity now. That's part of me making peace with my shame and, and helping others to do the same. Mm. That's, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing. In mm -hmm. your opinion, um, as someone who's recovered from this, uh, how then should we interact with abusers when we encounter them mm -hmm. in the church? Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's so important because normally you're not going to have much luck because normally they're all narcissists. So good luck because they mostly hate women, but it's coded in this <laughs> I'm for you type of bullshit. It's not, um, you normally can't just because you have a vagina, you're not going to be able to help. Um, so they sadly narcissists, mostly their hatred for women is so deep and covert that they're not going to be able to listen to a woman. So sadly, and that's why part of my passion is helping other men begin to no longer be bystanders of sexism and actually speak up and, and actually begin to stop because sadly, narcissistic men only listen to men mostly. Um, mm. And that's through, through strength, through a deep centered strength of confronting narcissists. And that's why I think spiritual abuse and all this uh, you know, objectification of women, violence against women is a man's issue. It's not women, feminist women have taken up this, they have led us for so many years and it's not a, it, it's a man's problem. It's our own violence that and our own insecurity that's uh, projected and perpetrated onto so many uh, women. And that's why I'm so passionate about this topic that men have to begin to step up, no longer be kind of enabled to be little little boys acting like men, but actually step into our true masculinity and our true masculine strength. Would That's you talking, getting into a little bit about your book here, could you give some examples of like maybe toxic masculinity, toxic male sexuality, mm -hmm. and then what healthy masculinity and sexuality might look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much of unhealthy masculinity is, I mean, when you look at culture, you know, it, it's such a fascinating conversation. Any men in your life, ask them like, what were they socialized to become? Right. And this whole socialization of masculinity that we have to be tough, that we have to be, you know, foreverly aroused, you know, forever aroused and always ready at any minute to have sex and, you know, always the aggressor. And we have to um, deconstruct what masculinity has been. Um, and, and how do you begin? And that's the toxic masculinity that you speak of, of just this like, you know, be all you can be in the army and be this tough Marlboro man or whatever these things. I remember the GI Joe commercials growing up and um, all these things of, I want to be a man. I want to be strong. I want to be tough. And yet when we're insecure and we have this unhealed pain that comes out through violence because mm. aggression, aggression and violence is the quickest way to feel strong. Mm. It's the quickest, cheapest version of strength. Um, and so that's why you see so much violence. That's how you see so much. And then when, then you throw in the spiritual and the religiosity, um, and you're not allowed to necessarily be violent, 
because that's frowned upon. But then it comes out in these other weird kind of perverse ways. And for me, it came out sideways through pornography. Mm. Um, and then what would a, I don't know. Yeah. The opposite. Of that. Healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Healthy sexuality, right? When we step into our pain, when we, you know, you do the work, you go to therapy, you begin to wrestle with your stories. Um, you actually begin to, to make peace with your, with your scary, with your shadow, with your fear. Um, and, and that changes our emotional presence, right? Like I'm able to be more present with my wife now. And in sex, I'm able to look at her and be with her face, be with her body in honor, not devour, right? Because pornography taught me how to devour a woman. It didn't teach me how to honor a woman. Mm -hmm. And so over time, over these 15 years of recovery, I have learned what, what does it mean to honor the body of a woman? What does it mean to honor my, the fullness and the complexity of my wife that she's not just uh, body parts? She's not just her breast. She's a whole woman that I need to honor and not devour. Um, and so that is part of this sexual health and this, this wholeness that we're stepping into. What are some potential kickbacks, say a man does, or what have you experienced mm -hmm. when you become more healthy emotionally, when you become more healthy sexually, I can imagine mm -hmm. there's this whole culture, both in the church and outside the church, that's very against that. And what are some potential kickbacks of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, totally. They say it's all pop, pop psychology, right? Just doing this little, you know, it's completely devoid of Christ or, you know, just going to see a therapist is taboo or you have all this stuff. And it's just like, oh, my heart breaks because it's like, how is that devoid of God when, when God is in me, right? And the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about God. I am an image bearer of God. God is in my face. And, and yet, I, I can't be a reader of my own face. I have to have other people. I have to have uh, other honest people in my life to be a reader of my face. Um, what is it, like 80% of our nerve endings or something we don't control in our own face or something weird like that. Some, it's like, oh, weird. Like I have to have others in my life to become readers of my face because I can't accurately read my own face. And so I have to have people speaking into my life. I have to be, you know, honest and authentic. Um, and so that's not an easy it. thing. I, not an easy yeah, thing. No, not because it caused <laughs> it, co it costs me something, right? Like it, it hurts for me to be seen, for me to be fully exposed, for my shame to be in front of my face. And yet that's exactly what I need to do to become a centered man who knows who he is, right? It's like, I know who I am. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm the same dude here, here, here. I'm the same guy in every arena of my life mm -hmm. um, versus when I was a pastor, right? I was one thing on Sundays. I was one thing on Wednesdays. And then Tuesday night behind my computer screen, I was somebody else. And then, you know, this girl that I took out, I was this person. And then, you know, and I, I would change who I became mm -hmm. um, to fit my scenario. And I became this wonderful um, chameleon that became a very dangerous man. In um, the worst sense of the word. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder what you would say or what would you say to um, this idea that it looks like the system, I'm speaking about the church and the misogyny within the mm -hmm. church, benefits men. 
Mm-hmm. Do oh, you definitely. think that it? Well, who's who's in power? <laughs> who's in well, power? Yes. Right, and so mm-hmm. it always benefits the power structures. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm going to, as a, a, a white man in power, I'm going to help unconsciously even. I'm going to help my buddies that are like me. I'm going to cater to to my friends, and then again, add in the porn stuff. Fifty percent of pastors have a relationship with pornography. Fifty. Wow. Didn't know Over 60, 63% of youth pastors. So if pornography is in 50% of our churches, uncon, you know, in, in, the, in the room, that's not being talked about, how is that going to impact their engagement with women? Right? It's going to be two, two different ways. One, they're either going to leave the door open and say, oh, no, I'm going to be above reproach and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, no women around here. But that's because... The women might jump my bones. Yeah, right. The women are going to jump on them. They're terrified of their own sexuality and their own shame for abusing women. And then they projected on women. Oh, wear you know low cut blouses or whatever. You know the bikinis. The it's like they're going to become hyper moralistic and they're going to make it about um, you know the clothes. They're going to blame it on women about the clothes they wear or you know and that's the purity culture stuff, right? They're going to they're going to blame it all on women because of their own unprocessed shame with their own porn use. Or, so that's one, that's one way, or they're going to go the other way and become this kind of secret, um, you know, flirtatious kind of pervert pastor that you see those two. So you, those are the two extremes that they swing back and forth if there is pornography use. It doesn't sound like the system actually benefits men at all. Oh, so it, it, it benefits them in the shallow part, but it actually destroys them in a similar way it destroys women, right? It, it, it destroys men in the sense that we, uh, it supports our enabling and it supports our abuse. It doesn't require much of us, right? Yeah. Do you mind talking a little bit about purity culture and how that affects mm-hmm. men? Sure, sure. Yeah, I think the best way to talk about that is through part of my own story of growing up in Southern Baptist Church in the South. And I remember the True Love Waits rallies. I remember the, you know, these things signing this form not to have sex before marriage. And we're all like, yeah. But then you have no conversations around healthy sexuality. Nothing. It was the conversation was don't have sex. Oh. Okay, thanks. Have sex when you're married and it's going to be, you know, awesome. Oh, okay. Great. And then, you know, pornography shows us something else. And then it's just like, talk about just these mixed up messages. There was no healthy messages around sexuality. It was all or nothing. It was either porn, which is this kind of this shameless depiction of women as, um, submissive and uh, objectified or you have this deeply shame-based don't talk about it sex is bad sex is dangerous Um, just do it when you're married and neither of those extremes prepare anybody (laughs) to have a healthy sexual relationship um, with their own body or with the you know with with sex Um, and so both extremes are incredibly toxic and yeah, it really, really hurt me. And it hurts so many men that I work with that come out of that same culture of like, wait, we were sorely let down. We were so let down. Purity culture let us down so much. 
and like we don't know how to be healthy and that's why so many men are seeking seeking help so it led to two unhealthy things for men either complete total yes. repression or yep. finding it in other ways that were not actual sex or right. actual exactly. intercourse and that's those were the two different extremes that people fell into within purity culture for men then how did that show up because i know for Mm -hmm. my female friends who come out of purity culture it leads to shame in the bedroom shame with their partners very difficult time Mm -hmm. having sex and not and not knowing what to do and not knowing what what's causing it um how does that show up for men down the road yeah I think it's a little different in the fact that shame is still a part of of men, but because of our socialization of kind of the other extreme of that, we have to be these kind of sex animals or we have, you know, we kind of, it's applauded. Then we have this other part. So the shame is still there for the men, but it's normally suppressed. And it's, and it's in this weird um, aggression type of thing that comes out and if you're not having more sex, or maybe a better way to say this entitlement, right? Where then we're like, oh, we are, you know, we, now that we're married, we're supposed to have sex every five minutes, you know? And it's just like, this is, this is insane. You know, I just heard it today is some guy expects sex three times a day with his wife. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with this person? (laughs) Like three times a day, like his wife is no longer a wife. His wife is a, you know, a sperm bank. Like she's not a human anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not about connection and love. So that's where I, I think that kind of undercurrent of pornification has, uh, that the way purity culture and kind of pornification meet is this, you know, what the stat is, what 70% of Christian men, not in professional ministry, have a relationship with pornography. So when you mix the shame of purity culture with uh, kind of the 70% of Christian men using pornography, it's this weird combo um, that really becomes complex and um, really screws women and men. Why doesn't the church want to talk about this? Because the church is led by these men who are using why would I want to pretty, expose myself? That's a pretty decent connection to make, but I did not make that connection. <laughs> that there's an yeah. actual systemic yeah. reason yes. why this is not addressed. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. Why would I, I? I'm terrified, right? I'm terrified of my own sexuality. I'm a pastor. I'm terrified of my own sexuality. I've created a culture where I can't be honest because then I'll be fired and I won't be able to feed my family. I have no place to go. So. Oh. What do I do? I just shove it down, shove it down, shove it down until it comes out sideways through normally through addiction or an affair or right. Spiritual abuse, all the above. Wow. Mind blowing. Yeah. What's hard about these interviews is like, I want to like take information. I like want to process it, but I'm like, I got to I have to keep the conversation going, but I have to, I always, I always said like, after interviews, reading articles, and researching more. Right, I learned totally. So and I've got a tons of articles <laughs> on my website. And my new book, The Sexually Healthy Man, is coming out in a couple months. Yeah, and, will you uh, talk a little bit about the book? 
Yeah, basically what I'm really finding, which is kind of surprising, is writing about this stuff just to make sense of it, to make sense with my clients. But like what I'm finding is how many women are really, you know, I have like some almost 40 something people on my book launch team and these women are reading it and they're just like, wow, this is, I wish I had this years ago when I was married to my narcissistic husband, my, my husband who is a pastor, like so many women are finding freedom in it, which is really cool for me because I didn't really think about that of like, wow, like women are really getting a taste of what a healthy sexual man should be and what they should expect from a partner because we've set the bar so low, I think, you know, where it's like, because men are defining it. Oh no, every man, you know, oh, that's normal. Locker room talk, right? It's normal to sexualize women. It's normal to, and it's just like, oh gosh, we have set the bar so low for men. And what does it mean to actually call forth a deeper engagement? Um, that I actually, I actually believe in men so much that I'm not going to be okay with just like, you can act like a 13 year old boy. No, you can be a grown ass man and live into your strength, into your power of who God has called you to be. That's, that's my hope for you, right? That's my hope for men. And so this book is uh, stepping into uh, most of all the stuff we just talked about and then just calling forth a healthier version of who we're meant to be and who God calls us to be. Mm. Is your audience for it? Do you get into any of the uh, spiritual side of it or any, mm-hmm. um, yeah, who's your yeah. audience for it? Yeah, yeah, basically Christian men and, and women, you know, men who want to have a healthier relationship with sexuality in the church and, you know, women as well who has been harmed by it. Um, but yes, it's mostly my audience. We run the, my wife and I run the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. And so our main people are, you know, people in the church and people on the fringes of the church who've been harmed, you know, by trauma and sexuality. Wow. Sort of diverting a little bit. How, um, how have you seen the church interacting with people who've experienced sexual trauma? I, I hope it's been better. And I do believe it has gotten better since, you know, growing up in the church, um, and so I think they're becoming more aware um, when you have one in three women who've been sexually abused, one in four women who have in some type of domestic violent relationship. Um, it's just like, we can't ignore it anymore. We can't over-spiritualize male violence anymore. You know, if your pastor's not talking about domestic violence, if your pastor's not talking about sexual violence, it's like, we have to be honest. We have to be talking about this stuff that matters um you know racial violence like we got to be talking about all this this stuff that is so vital to emotional health yeah um do you find that some of your clients who are navigating sexual trauma what is their view of like the church and god yeah how is that affected yeah most of the work is kind of deconstructing an unhealthy view of what god has been right? This, this genie in a bottle or this, you know, strict disciplinarian and kind of reclaiming that God of kindness and love, um, reclaiming the welcoming them back despite the violence that they've perpetrated and yet fully owning um, their violence, right? Not, and yet is grace actually real? 
and do you need to become a safe man <laughs> rather than that cheap view of grace where I see it all the time with these narcissists are like, Oh, God's forgiven me. And then they just go on abusing or they just go on living. It's just like, no genuine repentance. If you want to know if a man has changed, you're going to see it in his life. You're going to see it in his suffering. Genuine repentance requires deep grief. And if there's not deep grief, if it, if it doesn't create humility, then you need to stay away. <laughs> you need to have firm boundaries and not, not be in relationship um, with them until they can truly show over a long period of time that that change has actually happened because it's not easy. It requires suffering to actually change a narcissistic man. And it sounds like it would require if they were in a leadership church leadership position, no longer being in that position Yes, especially if it enables that kind of hidden narcissistic life because they need the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So when does your book come out? The book is called The Uh, Sexually Healthy Man. Yes. And then you said it's coming out in January. In January, yes. Thank you, 2021. Get away from this, 2020. (laughs) exactly good things good things are coming in 2021 yes we hope we hope yeah you can get it on amazon and um yeah it should be available and then we'll have a bunch of resources on my website at andrew j bauman b-a-u-m-a-n.com and uh christiancc.org is uh, my business as well and i definitely encourage anyone listening to just spend a few hours on andrew's website there's Great stuff, great videos, great articles on so many, so many different things. So it's a book in itself, just the, just the website. Well, do you have any final thoughts, anything that you? Yeah, no, I appreciate you hosting and uh, having these courageous conversations because they're much needed. You know, folks like you, this is how we're going to break what's, what's been the norm of our upbringing, right? This is how we're going to break, break these, these norms that, the church somehow shies away from what's difficult um, Mm -hmm. because I think we can have a robust relationship with God and also enter into heartache, right? We cannot taste resurrection until we've entered into the crucifixion. And so let's, let's taste death. Let's follow Christ into his crucifixion so we can taste the goodness of resurrection on the other side. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. That's Mm -hmm. really helpful. So thank you so much for coming on, taking some time to do this. Appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next time.